Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host, and each week I like to sit down with storytellers from the medias of, let's say, movies, video games, comic books, TV. Sometimes I sit down with musicians. I had some musicians on the show last week, if you guys want to go back through the feed and check that out. Um, and that's what we do. We just talk pop culture. I like to find out why they tell the stories they tell. Usually they're talking about their most latest story. Which is a double, <laughs> I don't know if that's a double positive. It's not a double positive. That's just a really weird sentence. <laughs> but we're geeks here, so awkwardness is uh, to be expected. Um, if this is your first Geekscape, that's it. If this is not your first Geekscape, welcome, so, uh, welcome back and thank you so much. Uh, I just mushed two sentences together. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, and you know what? We're having a lot of fun. Um, our podcast is now over at Pinecast. That's where we're hosting right now. And Pinecast has been fantastic with us. I think all of our Geekscape podcasts are over there right now. Thank you, Matt Kelly, for putting that together. Um, and if you know, you're enjoying Geekscape, go out and tell your friends about it. And let's get those subscription numbers up across the Geekscape network because we're still adding shows. We just added a wrestling show called Matt Mania last week, which I think you guys can all be excited about. Um, so... Speaking of Matt Kelly and the things that he brings together, this episode, I'm sitting down next to Mr. Rob Kuttner. Did I pronounce your last name right? It's close, but if you pronounce it correctly, then it'll, it will summon the beast. So <laughs> he's serious. Well. He's, he's, yeah. he's, do you put a Q? Uh, no, 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 you got it. You got I got it right. Kuttner. Right. Okay, got it. I just got didn't it. want you to get no, to like but, but how many, how many times do I have to say it again for the beast? I want the beast thing to happen. That sounds cool. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's 300,000. It's, like, it's like a really, imagine a really slow version of Beetlejuice where it's just like they spend the whole movie just. Oh, 300,000? Yeah. Oh, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Can you get other people to say the name? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it, or is it a collective? Oh, outsourcing. Is it, right, yes. Can you, you, you can distribute it around the country. The like, demon worship. Right, you can outsource the, the, <laughs> um, So I met Rob this summer at Comic Con where Rob was signing copies of his brand new graphic novel. Um, it's called Shriekage, and he was signing it at the Geekscape booth. And I think I was kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off, so I didn't get to talk to Rob that much. But he's here on the Geekscape podcast. We talked about having him on the show, and miraculously, we happened to get it uh, together right before LA Comic Con, which we're both going to be at. Yeah. And that is this week. What were the odds that in we were in LA? Um, <laughs> I don't think the odds were actually that good, Rob. Like, <laughs> like I think you're extre- extremely busy. I, run, I continue my dance of running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Right. So I think the odds were not in our favor. But that being said, it was something that we were determined to have happen. It is something that we had talked about for maybe, going back to like September. Maybe the odds were not in our favor, but the destiny, the destiny was there. The stars were. That's talking about a whole different thing. And in, in Geekscape, if you think this is an arcane arts podcast, it might just become that. Speaking about <laughs> demon summoning and <laughs> destiny and things like that, I think this is stuff that that all geeks end up falling into. So stick with us. So um, I met Rob, and here's the here's the thing. I met Rob. It was like, hey, he's a a writer on Conan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Conan, uh, the the Conan O'Brien show that is on TBS, which you have to correctively call Conan and not the Conan O'Brien show or the Late Show with Conan O'Brien right. or all the different. I mean, there there were two or three iterations. This is the third one, we, I guess. Because this is the third one. Yeah. Late Night and then this Night Show and then Conan. So each one is getting shorter, I think. So soon it'll just be Co, or maybe. Co. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but you've been on the show since uh, NBC or. Yes, I, I uh, no, no, well, yes, I, I joined The Tonight Show. The Tonight Show, that's right. I, yes, I left, I was on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and I moved from New York to L.A. for The Conan Tonight Show because it's The Tonight Show. I mean, how could that be, what could go wrong there? Could, <laughs> this is an saying, institution. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> this is an institution. <laughs> right, you don't mess well, with that. All right, yeah, NBC's <laughs> not going not gonna, to not gonna do something crazy. some people, you could say I was a sleeper agent for Jay Leno, and I, I worked from the inside and brought it down. No, Rob, the, I listened to Jay on Mark Maron mm-hmm. uh, recently. He was on, I think, over the summer, and I listened to that podcast very recently. Uh, and it's hard to think about that whole ordeal because obviously, like I think you're, you're a bit like me, and we grew up reading like the Night Shift mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think yeah. it, like we were in high school, college by the time the Night Shift started coming around, and that was the book that detailed all the going in and out, in and outs of like Jay Leno taking over the Tonight Show mm-hmm. from Johnny and David Letterman going to CBS. Right. And, right, right. The, and, and, and the wrongdoings or okay doings or back and forth dealings and all that. The most important power shift in 20th century, 
you know, in the world probably, right? You know, <laughs> like Yalta too, they called it. Well, for us, it was huge, right? Right, like, like right. The, I mean, growing up, where did you grow up? In, in Atlanta. In Atlanta. So growing up in Atlanta, um, I'm guessing that the Turner stuff isn't like a point of pride. Maybe like you're working for it's CBS now. It's such a coincidence. Now, it's a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. It's just a wild thing because I, cause Turner was kind of a backwater syndication network, kind of like... Until recently, like your sort of like WGN, WGN, like, yeah, like one of those things that just showed not very much original stuff, but like that was like the Flintstones, Honeymooners, Atlanta Raves channel, basically. Is what I, it was like the one sort of cable channel I was aware of. I think if you can call it that, right? But now it's like this big force. So it's just weird that the show was sort of picked up and brought back to life after that Tonight Show thing by my home network, which is a completely different place. <laughs> but you you were in the thick of it. You joined the Tonight Show thinking that this is going to be. Like, this is it, you know, this is an institution in, te- in late night television. Um, Conan had long since proved himself, and it, and then, like, almost from the get like, it, it's almost like it didn't, wasn't given enough time to find its legs. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, at this point, you know, time has enough passed that you can see that it just wasn't a good idea, or mm-hmm. maybe it was not, like, a, the best fit of what Conan does to that kind of, like... That hour, or what? Yeah, that, that, t- that time, that sort of audience they were going for, which is very mainstream, down-the-middle sort of stuff, and that's just not what he does. But also, you know, you know, they gave Jay Leno, Jay Leno had bad ratings in the 90s, and they gave him, like, I think a year and a half or something like that, and then they, mm-hmm. they jumped after the, famously after the Hugh Grant... Uh, I remember interview. that. I remember yeah. that weekend, that first week, that, that first night that he beat... Uh, Letterman. Letterman and it right. was like it was you never you couldn't imagine that ever happening but right. it took the Hugh Grant but it takes a while because thing, like these things yeah. these things take a while for, for people to like get interested in something I mean people know about Conan but I think like the, for the 1130 audience to discover him and for him to get comfortable with that sort of stuff you know we, we had seven months and then they sort of pulled the plug right. or they, they let's say let's say they made the ultimatum for midnight and Conan decided to pull the plug but so it wasn't what is, a lot of time to really find your footing so what is Rob Cutner thinking now now that he's gone from a cable show that had su- success like The Daily Show still John Stewart at the time right mm-hmm. um and were you on the show with Craig Kilborn? No, no. <laughs> remember that? I remember that. I was like, damn. I, I mean, I kind of I enjoyed things on the Daily it Show. Actually, believe Craig not, it actually drew me to it because, um, not because of him, but because the writing was so sharp. Like, like, it was kind of a weird backwater show in a way, too. Like, mm-hmm. He was just this really attractive guy who seemed to be really dumb. And then, but the writing around it, you could tell, was really smart and like kind of had a different point of view. And I was attracted to that when I was looking for a job. And uh, I liked him from SportsCenter. Like, I yeah, remember him on SportsCenter yes, right. being, like, the guy who may not know what he's talking about, yeah. but he says something smart-ass that is funny. Right. He fits into a role very well, I think. Yeah, so and they had the, the, the one thing I remember the most about Craig Kilborn's Daily Show era, which, for me, was it, 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 I think it lasted longer than we give it credit for. I think that, that it Craig was Kilborn... Like, yeah, it was, like, probably six years. Five six, six years. Because yeah, everybody only remembers, right. it seems like, Jon Stewart. but. Right. I remember they took that clip from Story of Ricky where that dude smashes a dude's head and they do the five questions and you just see like this the clip, the the incredibly violent clip of a dude smashing another guy's head with his hands. (laughs) And then it's, I think think the Bush era is what turned that thing into a political show. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think John joined in 1999 and, you know, politics was not such a pressing concern for a lot of people. And then I think 2000 election for sure. Yeah, Bush v. Gore was like very people started getting. That's when I think the Daily Show, before I was on it, really kind of fell, fell into the absurdity of all the red and blue and the Chad County and stuff like that. And that, that's when they found their voice. And then I joined in two thousand and two, and like at that point, Bush was in office and John was just swinging at that point. I think yeah. what he was doing and had gotten political, and that was a good time to be on it. Rob, did that draw you to the show, or like did you set out to do something political, like coming out of Dennis Miller and that? You know, whole it is, idea? it's like, funny. I didn't really, you know, I didn't sort of enter the business seem intending to be political. I was sort of always a political guy, but I was just always doing comedy separately, and um, and that was I was trying a bunch of different things, and that's where the first opportunity presented itself was in the late night world. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off as a writer's assistant on Dennis Miller. When my friend recommended me, and that ended up being political. Um, and then I think just because I'd done that, I ended up starting as a writer there. And because I'd done that, and The Daily Show was had an opening because they were losing someone to Kimmel, and my friend introduced me to people over there. I was like, oh, that seems like a good opportunity. As I said, this show is very well written, and it would be a good, cool place to try, you know, to try that out. So I think, you know, I think it sort of wasn't the overall general path, but it, once I got on that path, it seemed like a very cool thing to try because it was. They said it was not such a huge show back in the early 2000s. It was just something that I thought was really 
really competently done and people more people should know about. And the Daily Show's kind of become an institution and then you have like the spin-off with Stephen Colbert and, mm-hmm. and so and now he is in charge of like, yeah, later I and know. stuff. It's insane how uh, all, yeah, all the pieces seem to be shifting and um, and so you go to Conan, you're thinking it's the Tonight Show. It's an institution. What were you thinking when suddenly they offered Jay like a ten o'clock slot for an hour? And well, the whole thing was weird. But it was just like I remember, I remember one day, like um, uh, the writer's assistant came in and said, "You guys check out TMZ." And I was like, "That's never. There's never a good no, reason that you're checking out TMZ." No, yeah. like, who got arrested? Wow, who died? Wow. Who Lindsay Lohan passed her driving test. Yeah. Are you sober. Wow. Great. That yeah. was a headline on TMZ. Uh, no, it's never good news. You're like, and why are we being specifically asked to do that? And all it was was just that Jay Leno agrees to take 10 o'clock show. And at first I was like, well, that just seems weird. But then I started reading the analysis and people were like, you know, it's not expected to do well. It's an unusual move. I remember Jay had given some interview where someone had said, if you're asked to come back to 1130, because I think Conan's ratings were not doing well that t- at that point, would you do it? And, you know, so some people, the answer would be, no, I'm done. You say we, no. we made he's an like, agreement. He's like, yeah. He made that one of those noises he makes that are not legally binding answers of any sort. Right. At that point, we were sort of wondering what was going on with him. And then this was like the next step was like, why is he coming back to a show after he had this huge pop and circumstance and retired and, you know, all the stuff he was going to do and said it on national TV and now suddenly he's coming back. So it didn't feel good, but I don't think we necessarily knew what it was going to lead to because all the negotiations were happening. Like, you know, even we were not privy to them. Like, sure. stuff. And then the next day, um, I think Conan wrote his editorial and then... We saw it when it came out in the New York. And New what York was Times. the editorial? The, um, the pe- they call it the People of Earth uh, one, where he announced that he was not going to take the midnight slot and he would rather do his own thing. The sort of like yeah, listen, know, like the FU to NBC. It was. I mean, they announced that he was taking over the Tonight Show four years earlier. Yes, I know. Which is like, who who does that? And last week, uh, Geekscapers, we had an episode with Yuri Lowenthal, who plays Spider Man in the new PS4 game, mm-hmm. and he had to sit on that for three years so he, he gets cast as Spider-Man he's incredibly ecstatic go back and listen to the conversation and and he then has to sit on the news that he's Spider-Man for three years until they make the announcement this past May uh, at E3 three years you know and then the mood the game comes out a few months later so um, Listen, with great VO parts come great responsibility. Yeah, with great VO parts come great responsibility. Just like Uncle Ben, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle ben died to, to, to prove that point. I wanted to give him a lesson and, about and the, the show business. And the thing is, like, it seems like that announcement is could could have been twofold, where you know Jay's retirement and Conan's replacement of Jay would have happened if it would have happened within a even a year's time or a six months time, it would have felt like a natural evolution. Instead, it felt it was just weird. Yeah, it was like anticlimactic after all this. Completely anticlimactic. Yeah. But I will say that being there during that, there's a two week. So there's basically that left two weeks left on the air mm. of shows until we were Conan was gonna it was gonna go off. I think because the Olympics were gonna coming on then, so there's gonna be a natural break. And then other other networks recording the show. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say that like once we knew networks, it, right? once we knew it was over, it was like this huge roller coaster ride because Conan just like didn't give any fucks at all, and it was like, can I say that? Is this yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. No, yeah. I don't. I don't want to shock your um, no, no, your no, delicate no. audience. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, hear, you hear that, Frank Sanders in Long Island? <laughs> he called you delicate. <laughs> so Conan was just willing to do anything. So that was just that was really funny. Just had this devil may care attitude. Um, and then and then he went out on the road and did that tour. That there was that yeah. that documentary, and then. Um, and then, yeah, then he was negotiating with a bunch of different things. And um, it turns out it's just, I think it's just hard. To, like, Fox has always wanted a late-night show, but they, they don't own their affiliate stations the way most networks do or don't have the kind of connection where, like, the affiliates have their own shows they want to run. Like, all the local Fox stations mm-hmm. have their own reruns they want to do. And they were like, we don't want to all agree on this. Like, we all have all our own agenda and stuff like that. So Fox couldn't get it off the air. Apparently, FX was in the mix, too. And Fox had had its stab at late-night. They've tried it, so yeah, before, but it's the same thing. It's like, you have to sort of start with like a certain critical mass. I don't know how this works, but I think you have to have a critical mass of stations who are all going to show something at the same time so you can get some baseline numbers and see how it's doing. If they're all showing a show that's supposed to be like a scheduled show, like a late night show at different mm-hmm. times, or not even on the same night or something like that, it just me- I think it hurts the cohesiveness the whole picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, he, so he goes on the road trip. Well, that's going on. It, was there a guarantee given to you guys? Like, no, hey, we didn't know anything. Holy crap! What do you? Yeah. What's going through your head? We were all. In fact, we were all kept in like little cells, like Al Qaeda, and not allowed to talk to I each other. I mean, were, were there writers? No, we were, we were there just, that were. We were basically we were basically unemployed, and um, Conan 
uh, helped got a, get us a nice like sort of severance package that was good for a little while that was nice uh, but you know we were all looking for the jobs or you know I had a baby and I was spending I, I mean you know not my own I just had a baby that found <laughs> Craigslist you know. no I um, my wife and I had had a baby who just turned one so I spent a lot of time with my kid and was writing you know pilots and working on other stuff and trying to land other stuff and um, uh, and then it was like it was like six or seven months later the writers guild calls us and says um, you need to come in and meet with us so we can talk about uh, your negotiation for the for the TBS show. I'm like, what? Well, oh, yeah, that's why there's a TBS show. I remember vaguely, but no you one didn't told know me. You were no hired. one, no, no one from the show told me. <laughs> told me. <laughs> that was the easiest job interview you ever had. I was like, yeah, like okay. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but you had interest in it, of course, because you liked. I mean, how many of the guys carried over? People carried over. Guys and gals carried over from. Uh, from NBC to the um, I, I, I'm like almost almost all of them. They had to cut cut it back a little bit because it was going from a network budget to a cable budget. Sure. But most of them, yeah, I was interested in going back. I'd just been there for only seven months myself. I'd moved my family to be on this show and left another show I'd been on for years. And yes, I would wanted to do more of it and also you know have a job and feed my baby. So, so like, what's going so through your head? Cool. Like that that seems intense to me that you made that cross country move for you know what seemed a pretty stable sure thing and then seven months later you look up and well, you've you've i mean because your your wife works in the industry as well yeah, and she must have yeah. had to uproot portions of her career as well well as you said we had a baby then so sure um uh you know that was also in the mix as well i mean you know what are you going to do like it, looking back on it now it's like a, it's like nine years ago so you know i can definitely handle the drama of it more than i can you were uh, freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a short answer. Yeah. I'm trying to find the trauma, Rob. Right, exactly. Find the trauma. That should be your next podcast title. Find the trauma. Jonathan finds the trauma. Hey, um, why are you so fucked up? <laughs> that's my opening question. Isn't that, isn't that like the sub- subtitle of, w- of WTF, actually? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, it's like, why it, so, it might as well be. Why are you so fucked up? And let's talk about my cats. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listening to Jay, it, it, he took the whole, like, old workers approach of, like, hey, a job's a job, you know? Right, like, right, right. And someone offers you a job, you take it. You don't know right. what you know. It's like, oh, sh- I don't, and like, oh, I don't know. It kind of sounds like, no, I mean, no. It sounds like loyalty amongst thieves kind of thing, where it's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> right. I mean, there's there's no rules for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that he is someone who, like, a lot of famous people, you know, including Conan and other people, like, when you're that famous, that's sort of, like, what you do, and it's, it's really hard to not do it. Sure. I mean, look at, you know... It's like, a gray like John area Stewart. as well. John it's Stewart not, worked, yeah. his, you know, worked his fingers to the bone in The Daily Show for 15 years, like, way past I was there, and he was super involved with it, like heavily involved in this and so much work. I mean, you saw his hair turn gray yeah. for that. Um, and uh, and then when he was done, he, you know, he was done and they did a big send-off and now he's like doing stand-up and stuff like that. So when you're used to that kind of, I think you just get that high from the audience and sure. you just sort of need some form of it. So, Sure. Yeah, no, I, I imagine that retirement wasn't something that would have taken well to Jay. And Jay didn't want to do it. I mean, he right. was sort of like, you know, sort of talked into it and stuff like that. He doesn't ever want. He wants to do it until his like deathbed. Probably. Yeah, the four year thing seems like. <laughs> yeah, that was like a preparation for him. He's like, hey, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, um, everything about that was weird. So, you start to write. So you were writing these pilots during that time, mm-hmm. and even though you're still writing for something like Conan, where you, I, I'm guessing, you're getting fed in a huge way from everything that goes on in the world, and you're doing a bit of pull from the current events. Uh, you still have this drive to write narrative fiction. Mm-hmm. What was uh, when you when you're growing up when you go to Princeton and you start writing there? I know you were writing for the Princeton. Uh, you were doing improv, yeah, which was probably some, some level of your, got of, of your fictional. Yeah, I, got, I mean, I do a little bit of looking around. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Who's this guy? I can't have him signing on. You had a PI follow me for about six weeks. I thought that was a little extreme too. You know what? There's a price, <laughs> and and I'll I'll, I'll I'll hear yours first, and I'll tell you mine, and if we meet somewhere in the middle, the secret stake. We're going to describe a, a folded piece of paper being pushed across <laughs> the table for you guys, and then you us opening it. Well, I, well, I did some research. I always do research whenever there's somebody at, that like Matt Kelly. No offense, Matt. I love uh-huh. you. But whenever he like proposes something for, for the booth and we got to fit him in, I'm like, oh, yeah, let, let's see where this, like, let, let's make space for this. Because I'll tell you the truth, Rob, and this is the truth against, uh, for, for, again, here for all the Geekscapists, is sometimes we get, like, people at the booth and nobody comes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So I'm like, well, let's make sure that, like, this person ha- can, like, promote the sh- appearance on social media and let's make sure that, like... You say before you do a favor, you would like something to be done for you too. <laughs> that's not it at all because I want to make sure that 
we well that, that's not that, that's, well I want to make sure that's not t-shirt sales time you know what yes, I mean or like that makes sense yeah like we like George and I spent a lot of money for that booth each year yeah. and we want to make yeah. sure that like people come to the booth and totally enjoy sense. it and that it's exciting and stuff like that so I'm sorry Rob no no good so you were so you were, you were doing my uh, you did your research correctly. a little bit of research but when you're at Princeton and you're thinking about that stuff what was your first draw to, to writing was it narrative fiction or was it to do something like this where you're doing commentary on the world. You know, that's what I was saying, like, this is what I was saying, I wasn't political in terms of my, right. what I thought I was doing with writing. I was interested in political causes. I was involved in, like, environmentalism and stuff like that and that sort of stuff, but I, it, it, there was sort of separate, it was like a separate compartment. So, um, yeah, so I was doing, like, I was writing sketches for, like, the school, like, musical theater troupe. I was in an improv group, as you said. I was also writing and like, then in the editor of the school humor magazine. So really more short form, Less topical stuff, maybe pop culture-y stuff, but not like political topical stuff. Um, and the narrative thing was that when I started, you know, I was getting towards the end of college, I started looking at a career and I was like looking at TV. So I started writing uh, what they call spec scripts, like yeah. sample uh, script, episode scripts of shows that exist where you write something in there in that world with those characters and in that voice and that style, but it's like you come up with the story yourself. And it's kind of like a a sample that a lot of writers use as their, sort of their portfolio in Hollywood. So I started writing like half hour scripts. What were your shows that you were like? Well, ironically, this is how old I am. It was the original Murphy Brown was the one. That, yeah. Uh, my part, my writing partner and I, I wrote a really, really terrible first outing of that. And then um, News Radio, if anybody remembers that show, which is yeah, really Dave fan Foley. fantastic show. Was Dave Foley on that show? Yeah, yeah. Kids he in the Hall? He's one of the stars. Yeah. One of the stars of it. Um, and then Phil Hartman, like Phil Hartman was yeah. on that. Uh, that was a great show, and then um, Frasier, and then I don't even remember. I mean, I wrote a bunch of them with this partner, and then I was also starting to work on screenplays and that sort of stuff as well, so that's the longer thing. I wasn't really, as I say, I wasn't really looking at topical uh, late night stuff, but then my friend ended up sort of by happenstance with a job on that Dennis Miller show, and he's like, we might be looking for people, and I was like, oh, well, Dennis Miller, just, just to give it things in context for your possibly young audience, he used to be a pretty libertarian centrist guy. Yeah. And he has a fantastic album, which still holds up, called the Off White Album, which is his stand-up album, which I think he did after he was on SNL Weekend Update. I mean, imagine he used to host Weekend Update, so how far right when could he have been? Yeah, Stuff and, white, right? <laughs> and I think for a lot of people, he was the Weekend Update person right before. Uh, um, oh God, I'm blanking. Before Norm or before, before Norm? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought he was before Norm. Yeah, it's hard to remember which was which. But. He's like remembering all the Russian stars. But he was, stars he was like really great at Weekend Update. Oh, he had, a, he had a really, like, special, his voice was so distinctive, it fit, fit right, I think, with it. Uh, I don't know, I don't remember him he doing and Norm, anything like, really made it else. Own. He and Chevy Chase and Norm, I think, more than anybody made it. And, you know, I think Tina Fey, I think, made it their own right. show, their own vehicle. I don't remember anybody else. Yeah. I don't, well, like, Norm, you can see him in other sketches on SNL. I don't think yeah, Dennis Miller was on any. He doesn't really Yeah, act Dennis Miller wasn't in really Other than, any, I think, Murder 1600, I think he doesn't, like... So, yeah, and then he was in... And then one of the vampires. One of the Bordello of Blood. Oh, Bordello of Blood. Bordello of Blood, right. <laughs> he was in Bordello right. of Blood. Right. <laughs> the Tales of the Crypt movie. Yeah, yeah, Bordello yeah. Bordello of Blood. Right, he's like... And that he, was Dennis Miller. Freeze, you, you punk-ass vampires, cha-cha. <laughs> so you show I up was, and you're, you're a writer's assistant on the show. Yeah, I'm a writer's assistant on that show. Were so you so pumped? Were you like, this is the I was dude so from Bordello because, of Blood? As a, um, as a Bordello of Blood fan. Yeah. No, because he was a great, he's a fantastic stand-up with this really unique voice that nobody else had. Like, and his use of language, the complexity of his syntax was unlike what anybody was doing in stand-up, and I think still is done to some extent. And his his reference pool, I mean, you got to geek mm -hmm. out on, like, this, the, this is before Wikipedia and where you, before you could just look things up. I think nowadays you would have to have, like, a Shazam app just to follow what he's saying. Now. Sure. But, but it was a great, like, he was, like, in introducing Easter eggs in a way, sort of, like, that... You had to like search out what he was looking up old classic movies or political references to know what he's talking about, and that was fun. But the really fun part when I worked there was that his, you know, he can't think of all those references himself, so he has a writing staff who would come up with stuff. Yeah, and they're all young guys name. your age and younger yeah, dudes. And yeah, stuff. men and women who are like our age who are like into deep cuts, and so we would just put a reference in when we turned in the writing to him, and he would just go through and read it, and he and he would just instead of asking what it was yeah. or whatever, he would just say, "Is that a thing?" Said, yeah, and he goes, cool, it's in. <laughs> he didn't like, he just trusted us. Just That's so, great. I know. He trusted the obscurity. So you guys were able to just run with it and make the show. Yeah, we could have just made things up yeah. completely. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, so there's a, there, so what, I think what I'm getting to now, because you've got this comic book, uh, the the graphic novel shrinkage. Finally, the plug. No, no, Jesus. no, 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 no. Listen, I listen. I, I mean, I'm they, kidding. I'm kidding. This is. I got to vet you. 
no, the no, audience no. for the audience. You, you are always del doing due diligence. Yeah, like it. the audience needs to on be camera, vetted. off camera. It's like, why am I going to buy this guy's comic? Right. Oh, now you know why Geekscape is. Jonathan is laying the foundation. Well, if I come out and I'm like, hey, here's this book, you should get right. it. You're like, great. They're like, never heard that before. I don't know this effing guy. Right. <laughs> they don't know you. They're not invested. You're in saying it I'm not an established comics persona, and so in some way you have to introduce <laughs> your comics audience to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with this Chris. interview is over. Sir. So this is Chris Claremont's new book. Right. Chris. <laughs> Is it Claremont? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so t talk about Shrinkage, which you were signing at the Geekscape booth this summer. Um, and then you were on a panel this coming weekend uh, at LA Comic Con yeah. on Sunday at noon. Yes. Uh, right before our zombie panel. At, oh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, which is fine. So, so you, people can you, do the whole, they can get the, the Cutner yeah. London Pass, they call it. We yeah, can yeah. go from one or the other. If you're here on Sunday. There's an escort who comes with white clothes service <laughs> and brings you to the next panel. Yeah, you can go from the... Um, you guys are in like a transmedia camp, uh, um, panel with someone like Adam Glass, yes, uh, yes, who I'm friends with on on Facebook, who works in comics. He writes, uh -huh. I think, Teen Titans right now, but he also goes on and he is working on uh, TV. He's a TV guy. Yeah, the whole panel is people who've, who've crossed over from some other field and write either write or have written comics. Mm -hmm. So Adam Glass, who wrote for Supernatural and. Uh, Criminal Minds and stuff like that and then Lisa Klink who's written for a bunch of the Star Trek shows like Voyager and DS9 and then um, and then you've got Zoe Quinn who mm -hmm. I was kind of <laughs> I was like oh well that's maybe that'll be a well-attended panel that's really for funny one, for yeah. good or for ill yeah. um, I'm planning to do a lot of mansplaining tours I hope oh no be. you jerk no, the whole, <laughs> the whole, she's the whole Gamergate thing yeah yeah she's, she, was the, she was the target of Gamergate uh, unfortunately so what did she do no, no offense Zoe she's not going to listen uh, what did she do before Gamergate? She was a she's a video game designer. Game designer designed this like depression game mm -hmm. on Twine, and then this was just her boyfriend. Her ex did this to her, like got her, like was it sort of attacking her online? I forget how it started exactly, and that's what. And then other people, I think, followed suit or something. Or I remember when it was happening, and our Geekscape Games podcast was talking a lot about it, and. It lingered for a while and really became a thing, and in a lot of ways was like a precursor to this B two movement. Yeah, you know, because yeah. it, it's bullshit to I treat somebody like that. You know, online period at the time is still bullshit. It's always going to be bullshit. Um, but she really fell out of I thought the public persona. And now she's working in comics. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's hmm. doing something with, with Vertigo, Vertigo. I think. Cool. Um, but uh, well, I mean, I think so. You're on the I, panel. Yeah, I imagine she was continuing to do games, but you know, after that, just that. Um, I'm sure it was that great of like, an atmosphere you know, for her. probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not going out in public, maybe so much. Fuck you, guys. how can I make tell my stories with less people involved yeah. who might be able to put who might want to buy? We do gaming in the yeah. first place. We don't want to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got, we got we got into gaming out of isolation, and now we right. have to, to make games. You have to deal with people who might put a knife in your back. I know <laughs> that's terrible. You're doing gaming wrong, people. But with with this comic, um, how long did this idea gestate? Because you you put out books. You had yes. a, you had a book in the early two thousands. You put out a uh, a digital single, which is kind of yeah. like weird, right? But like you just For wrote Kindle, it. Yeah. So yeah, so it's kind of cool I'd that written, Kindle can do that. So you know, like to tag back to what you were saying originally. So I've been writing topical humor for yeah, for over topical 10 years. humor. That's the term. Yeah, like an ointment, topical <laughs> humor that you put on, but um, after you go swimming, you have to have more of it. So yeah. that works. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm ready for that humor. I just did some laps. I'm ready for some hum more humor in my life. Um, so, so, so topical humor. The problem is, is that it's so current and of the moment that yeah. when the moment's over, it's it not evergreen at all. It just right. disappears into the. Um, Do you feel like your book that you wrote during the Bush presidency about surviving the apocalypse? Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like that's not currently? I mean, it's more. It was sort of more ahead pertinent. Of its time in a way. <laughs> I mean, I remember we all thought we were going to fucking die after night. I mean, you you lived in New York during nine eleven. No, I was in L.A. But you were in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. During 2001... I just moved in 2002, like a year after it. Because I was like, that place looks like things are happening there. Oh, you just moved to New York Yeah, I was in L.A. in 2001. Right. Dennis okay. I was in L.A. In LA. And ironically, I had just literally gotten my first break that I was going to be... Well, I'd just gotten news that I was going to be a writer on the Dennis Miller show. This was my first big writing break right before, like a month before 9-11. So I was like, yes, <laughs> this is amazing. And so, so now you're in L.A.? I was still in LA. My first writing job was on Dennis Yeah. Miller, and it was, it was, I found out I was going to get that job a month before 9-11, and I was like, yes, the stars have aligned. History is yeah. moving in the right direction now. Oh, my now. God. And then I had moved to, scratch. I had moved to New York a week earlier <laughs> before 9-11. A week? 
wow. <laughs> before 9-11. <laughs> and so uh, that being said, I think that we all felt like we were going to die. Right. That, that like, Especially this, if you this, live there. Yeah, I mean, it cost the country sort of yeah, The Bush bit. administration didn't help our feelings no. at all. They were like, no, yeah. no, you are all going to die. Right. Only we can protect you. You have to buy all this shit. <laughs> we yeah. have to put up these... Stop asking questions and go shopping. Trust and die bold. Right. And so here we are... Um, and I want to see that Dick Cheney movie really damn bad because they ran us up a damn flagpole too. Um, so you write this book about the apocalypse and how to survive yeah. it or at least be comfortable during it. I wrote the, the only feel-good guide to the apocalypse I about feel why good it's going to be better. <laughs> and in a way it was coming out of the Daily Show voice then because our response to like all the sort of terror and shock and numbness and stuff we were feeling from them was to sort of like put a fake brave face on it, like a really huge grin. Yeah. You imagine like sort of like someone like Rob Corddry or... or that like making a huge grin when everything's going to shit, that yeah. sort of thing. That was the sort of style. Is like ironically point out the good things, good parts of things. And so that's what I did with this book. Was I made this whole guide to all the different kinds of apocalypses. I did so much fun research. Like I watched, like watched all the Mad Max stuff again, and watched all these like <laughs> zombie movies. All these and zombie stuff. movies. I got to just. I mean, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, it's research. Yeah, it's research. I can hang out. Right. Careful. That's how I ended up drinking my recycled urine in Dark of the Dead. So we did a zombie documentary. And then I think I won in this. Particular case. <laughs> That's awesome. Everybody was trying to sell me on these water filters, and I kept being like, can you pee in it? And they're like, yeah, have you done it? No. <laughs> After five or six guys trying to sell me water filters, I was finally like, here we go. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> so you were also preparing for Waterworld. I was, well, I think that, that right now we're in this cultural, this like shared social miasma, right, that we're, that's being put upon us by just this onslaught of news, right? Yeah. Um, I think that post 9-11 we were all doing that and it led directly into the zombie obsession because we all ha wanted to deal with some level of our mortality and our shared mm -hmm. mortality oh, on a global scale because yeah. I mean like we're being barraged now with doublespeak we were being barraged then with images of our own demise whether it be Katrina or tsunamis or 9-11 mm -hmm. or more in the Middle East um, we had to start thinking about our own mortality. We didn't want to directly address it. So we right. were like, oh, fictitious monster that represents everyone's death. Like, it keeps let's, coming and can't, let's can't do be this. stopped ever. Yeah, great. Like, right. the, well, let's, let's deal with death as a metaphor. Right. And so I think that that directly led to the zombie thing now. But, uh, but then now the zombie thing's dying off and being replaced by the other so shared social miasma of trust and patriotism and you start to see shows like the Romanovs now starting to be popular mm -hmm. or shows about conspiracy theory being really popular right. in, yes. in, right, in, right, in right. television and narrative and stuff like that and especially with like the binge viewing stuff right now you see shows on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and stuff like that dealing with these really deep dives into conspiracy you know and it started with House of Cards mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now it's gone into uh, you know, Man of the High Castle, and um, and, and the, the <laughs> uh, I'm blanking on the one where the where the, the women all have to wear the oh the Handmaid's Tale the Handmaid's Tale and stuff like that. I think right. it's all part yeah of yeah, the yeah. same trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to push the darkness somewhere else, and then it comes back at us like in terms of our pop culture. It's all the threat of apocalypse. Right. So you so you were you were your finger was on the pulse then. And now it's just another sad pulse. I know. <laughs> it's a different pulse. A different kind of pulse than we could have imagined. But you wrote that as like, wh like, what was your impetus for writing that? I don't think that I was so much a, um, that I actually felt literally like, I feel much more worried about the world just being destroyed now than I did sure. then, I think. Sure. And I just sort of back my own world. I think that was just sort of like, um, in a way, I thought of an apocalypse as the ultimate form of escapism. <laughs> <laughs> it's party time. Maybe it was just living like in New purge. York. Yeah, exactly. Like the purge. <laughs> it's like living in New York, and you're just surrounded by people all the time, and all the sort of BS of the day-to-day -day stuff. And then, just in a way, it's like a claustrophobic response. Like, what if? Fuck it! I'm just going to blow everything up and clear the clear the yeah. landscape, and start over with like new rules and that sort of things. I think there are absolutely people on the internet who want to do that. Yes. There may be people in our own offices who <laughs> want to do that in our right. in our in our. In our when you drive in LA traffic for like 15 minutes, you feel like doing that. You feel well, like yeah, I, th I think that there are people who, like, I, when I talk to people about something like getting in involved in voting, and they're like, what's the fucking point? Yeah. And how many people do you see online or as fans or as elected officials <laughs> who are just like, what's the fucking point? Right. What's the fucking point? Right. Let's grab everything we can for ourselves yeah. and let's fucking go. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a level of apocalyptic, like, 
uh, fact, mindset all, going on all, these all the way up the chain. All these billionaires have these like secret homes in New Zealand that they're going to sure, escape to. Sure. <laughs> I interviewed a dude for that zombie documentary who was building the bug out shelters. Mm -hmm. What a dumb fuck. <laughs> I'm going to say that to you right now, Rob. This guy is in Los Angeles selling people underground shelters mm -hmm. and they're out in the desert and I said, "Where's your, where's your, where's your bug out shelter?" You know, and it's got all the amenities to, to last you for the next twenty plus years sure, until yeah. the radiation washes away, which it doesn't. It just ask right. people in Chernobyl, <laughs> but uh, it's got all the amenities to be able to survive for years underground. And he's in Los Angeles, bragging to me about how he's got this shelter, how he sells a, a ton of these shelters, and he's got his. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well." Knowing the real estate prices, it's probably not here in Los Angeles, is it? He goes, well, I ain't going to tell you where it is. He goes, well, probably out in the desert, middle of nowhere somewhere, right? He goes, yeah. I was like, so when shit hits the fan, you got to get out to the desert, right? And he's mm -hmm. like, yeah. Have you ever been in 5 o'clock traffic in Los Angeles, yeah. pal? I was like, you're fucked. You tried going to Palm Springs. <laughs> you're never getting to your bug out shelter. You, right. Like, you will be food by the time you get to freaking Riverside. Your one, your one safety plan is, I'm going to walk to the desert. Yeah, yes. There's like, my... <laughs> right. Through a post-apocalyptic place. Right. People trying to fight for for gas and water right. and food. Guess what? You just became lunch for somebody. You moron. I know. <laughs> he was so proud of himself for having this bug out shelter in the middle of fucking nowhere. I was like, unless we're conducting this interview in it, right. your plan is fucking stupid. Right. And assuming no one finds it. I like I like the I like the tradition that you that you, you, you trash previous guests on the podcast. No, no, he wasn't a guest on the podcast. He was a, a guy in our in our in our uh, movie who was Oh, oh, okay. And he was just like he was mean. <laughs> I was like, you are not. That's why he'll be living alone in the desert. For you are mean. You are mean. No, former guest of the podcast. I don't. No, no. But when I, if, if there are people, I don't have you on the podcast if I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, mean, I thought maybe you'd soured. <laughs> no, 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 no. If anything, I've gotten more hopeful. Oh wow, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> that's sweet. The journey continues. Um, how was writing this comic different than writing? I'll just go the long way to get to my question. How's writing the comic a different itch being scratched for you than things that it, that you, you had left over, perhaps, or had explored not far enough in your previous writing outside of topical writing? Well, one thing is, um, I mean, what, from a from a professional point of view as opposed to a creative point of view, uh, you know, it's really hard to get things made and sold in in Hollywood. Sure. Obviously, I mean, even if you're like successful at it. Um, getting the thing onto the screen, big or small, is like itself such a like almost like winning the lottery sort of thing. And it's so hard to get something made that's not just a script on paper that's going to sit in someone's desk if you're lucky, if you can even get it to a person. So for me, I've always loved comics, not because I'm like crazy into like superheroes and that sort of and the mythologies and stuff. I'm not really into that stuff so much, but I love the form, the storytelling format that you have sort of like a movie in your hands that has like all the visuals, or at least maybe even the best of the visuals, and they can be anything you want because you don't have to worry about a budget. What were some of the ones that you grew up with that influenced you the most? Comics? Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, and this isn't like vetting you. No, like no, This no, isn't no. a cred this, this is the one. This is like... Peace We're fall. a half hour more into the podcast. Why do you like, have, like do you have electrical prods attached to my <laughs> wrist right now when I'm answering If you this. do not say these You are the weakest links! Um, <laughs> why am I sitting in an ejector seat? Uh, I, you know, this is not going to shock anybody else, but I think I was kind of caught up in the... Um, and the, the sort of nouveau uh, graphic novel wave of like those ushered in by like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. So, 1986, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's. Um, I don't know if I discovered them then, but it was you know at some point uh, in their heyday, let's say in the 80s, at some point. Um, and I, uh, I I used to sort of browse at comic book stores, and then I and then I heard about those, and I started picking up, and they were just so different. I mean I, I collected sort of a mediocre, sort of an average mediocre swath of whatever was on the. Um, uh, spinner rack. What? Remember the spinner the rack? Spinner rack. Yeah, yes. the spinner rack. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, although I did end up like with like, like I've been going through my collection recently, and like I got the original like Wolverine that came out, and like the yeah. original Punisher series and stuff like that. So that's Chris Claremont, that original whoever that is. The, the, well, the original he wrote that that Wolverine you just referenced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And then there was like. There's a there was a Punisher miniseries before there was an original series, yeah. and it was so popular. I think they added a fifth issue to it before it was even finished. So my my, my titles they both. So I, I picked up stuff like that, but a lot of it was like for some reason I was like super deep into super like the whole Superman 
world around him. Like I have world of Krypton, I have world of Metropolis. I had all these things I got about. I know it's like who knew I was so into like Superman's like ancillary side stories and stuff like that. <laughs> a bunch of kids on like the CW. Right I now, think I literally. Like, I think I have like Crypto the Superdog number one or something like that. Like that was like not a bad issue to have. I'm right. Sure. It turns out. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I was like I didn't even remember that I was into that stuff, which you know maybe it was a little more forgettable. But like those. Those dark, like, uh, grounded personal ones, like, really kind of grabbed me. And that kind of actually, um, that, that kind of got me, I think, into the X-Men, which is more sort of personal, more part of personal, like, you know, conflicts and, you know, baggage and stuff people are dealing with. I got into those kind of things more, more so than the Superman stuff uh, after that. Yeah. I mean, funny enough, I, I kept, joking, kept joking about Chris Claremont. He is the guy who, read, who with John right. Byrne, right. wrote a lot of that run. In X Men, and then of course John Byrne revamped Superman post mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Crisis and right. gave him the mullet, <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> the super mullet, and uh, and I guess the, I mean you're in high school at that time, yeah. When that, all that stuff is going down. Mullets, you're, well, yeah, mullets <laughs> for sure. But you're like finishing high school and you're getting ready to go to school, and that stuff is really influential. I think that when you start getting into comics, you're going to buy like Crypto the Superdog and stuff that is fun because that's mm-hmm. your yeah, that's just your per- perception of comics. And then as you dig deeper, you start to find those albums, right? Like, think about, like, music. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, I started listening to music because it's on the radio. Right. But then I went to the store to buy the album. I started finding all this stuff. And you got that weird guy who's like, hey, man, you listen to this? <laughs> in yeah, comic sure. stores. And why I think comic stores feed this lifeblood and are, are so important to this culture is, um, like gaming stores and why I think Amazon can never really win is... You don't have that guy, that weird guy. guy who's yeah, like, you need hey, a spirit man. guide, like a spirit but animal. Have you tried this? Right. Hey, there's hey. <laughs> this yeah, your exactly. dealer. You know what I mean? Um, someone suggests stuff and that whole culture. So, um, so those are your comics, and you look up now, and the, the you know you're right. The cutthroat nature of Hollywood has led you to want to tell this story, but the avenues being pretty limited, especially like having read big chunks of your book, like the budgetary concerns. Yeah. Um, here you are, and you've got a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. How do you start putting it together? Have you have it was experience a long, in comics? It was a long and uh, it was a long and multi-stepped process. But basically, what happened was um, I, I I don't remember. If, I literally don't remember. I remember I just wanted to make a comic for a long time because I just, as I said, I like the way it tells a story. And I had and I'd always been a huge fan of the human brain. Mm-hmm. I, was, I always read like brain research and I would like read books about the brain and the mind and stuff that's going to come out and I was like I'm a, I'm a fan of like trying to take what you're super interested in and like do your work in that space Okay. so I was like I wanted to think of some story that had to do with like the human brain and then I started thinking of like a fantastic voice thing where like people got shrunk down and were inside someone's brain and then I was like because they were aliens. They're coming to get you by the way <laughs> sorry Geekscapes we are recording oh. this outside we're being arrested and, uh, right now he said a couple things that... Freeze, geeks! You guys were talking about the apocalypse? Put those in the where I can see them! <laughs> Say hello to the apocalypse right. in there. You guys talking John Byrne? <laughs> um, I like his Hellboy stuff better. What? <laughs> oh, that's it. <a, laughs> that's amazing. That's a copter. So you've got this... Uh, uh, so, yeah, so I wanted to... I, th- I, th- I imagine alien, like, why would we be in the vein? Why would we be in the brain? Like, what if tiny aliens were taking over like someone's inner brain? inner space. Yeah, like inner space. But why are, like, why, why is that even happening? And then they're hijacking I, you too. They're hijacking. They're, like, they're running you like a rental car. Right. They're right. They're, they're puppet masters. Right. And I was like, that's not going to ever be a movie because it's. I mean, it could be, but it's just like a huge budget movie, and it could be really cheesy. Like Fantastic Voyage, frankly, looks super cheesy. And I think even nowadays, it's just expensive and complicated. So, but I thought this would be like a great match for a comic book because you could just do all the visuals you wanted, you know, in the brain, and you could tell a whole story, um, and. Uh, I floated around to some people. I tried approaching the majors, and um, you know, as you have pointed out, uh, I'm not really anybody in that world, and so I didn't get very far with that. And then, um, uh, oh, and then I thought maybe I'll go out and spec and do this. And so I was looking for like, I thought I'm not legit, but if I get a legit artist, and they, they'll illustrate some of it. So here's what I'm thinking, knowing so much about the comic business: a, a hardworking, legit comic book artist is going to a do something for free for Oof. some guy he doesn't know, and B is going to do it just like on a chance that someone wants, and C has time yeah. for me. Yeah, there's all these things I don't know, so I don't get anywhere with any artist. And if you go the crowdfunding route, then you've just added a second forty-hour-a-week job to your right. Plate, right? So, what, did you ever think about the idea? I thought about it, but that's yeah. that's actually um, so. Well, you're skipping the story a little bit because okay. actually was a version of what happened. So okay. then, um, 
I crossed paths with this group called Farago Comics, which is a startup that was based in Atlanta. Um, through friends of friends of my parents, actually, so it all goes back to the hometown in the mm -hmm. end. Um, and they're saying we want to be the Spotify of comics, like we want to do what Comicsology does, but but for free. Like we okay. they basically they they made relationships with um, Golden Age and IDW and some other places, and they said we can get their 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 backlists of stuff they're not selling anyway, you know, in comic book stores, put them online digitally, and then make a service where you don't have to pay a subscription fee, you don't have to buy them, but we we sell ads. So when you watch a you watch a comic book, there's an ad at the beginning. But it's like a you know it's a um, that's a tough game though. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's a pretty good idea in theory. It's a good idea in theory, and I don't know how Spotify went and ran away with it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe how, you're you guys are listening to this on Spotify right now, but I don't know how how they, they make money off of it. Well, how they hit that critical mass. Critical mass is to all like things. make sure that those ads were worth anything. Right, and like how do you? I don't know how you measure. It. I mean, you can measure it stuff, but how do you know if it becomes worthwhile to the advertiser? So. It was around for a couple of years, and then they said we wanted to make an original series, like you know, House of Cards was for Netflix. We wanted to make something else get us in the map. And I said, actually, I have this idea. I haven't been able to sell anywhere, but I think like you know, someone who's really willing to take a chance on some kind of out there idea, and they liked the idea. And then they launched a crowdfunding site for mm. us, and they found John Lucas for me, who. Um, much better than you doing. Much better than I was doing. <laughs> I mean, not not that you were doing, but much better than you were capable of. Like, yeah, like, I didn't. I didn't really. No even, offense to you. I didn't, it's just I didn't like, even know him. I mean, uh, that's how that's how like unconnected I was. John Lucas. Yeah, former coach and player of the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's amazing. He, he's a real crossover. John artist. Lucas is now. I think he's a currently a coach on the Warriors or the Rockets, <laughs> one of those two teams. But he's one of the famous players of like the seventies who like cocaine was a big deal <laughs> you right, know what I mean right. and he was like one of the famous warning like examples for players like hey man don't it like because is that great that that's his legacy like, uh it, I mean I, I remember him as being a kid from being a kid and going to see the Spurs that play. guy has so much energy it's like, like he never sleeps like he was a great coach and I guess he still is but it, when I was looking at your comic I was like that's really funny that he shares a name with John Lucas. <laughs> you know, and the art. I mean, and John what Lucas, if he had a third act in his life and that's just what he did now? <laughs> that would be amazing because, yeah. you know, he has worked for the majors. Like, John Lucas, like the artwork yeah. that you have is from somebody who's worked on Marvel's books and yeah. things like that. So, so did, did he inform a lot of the visuals or did you have an idea on it from... To some extent, I mean... Um, because I'm always fascinated by that little game. He, I think we really were kind of a mind meld, which was great. A mind meld, yeah. Yeah, because they brought me a lot of, Farago brought me a couple of different artists, and I would look at them and, I'll say, and say, I can imagine this person doing it this way or something. When I saw his work, I was like, this is exactly sort of who I am creatively. Already. They'll hit all the points. They'll hit every, yeah, they'll be yeah, able to do We're just the, on the same page because he has like that, that sweet spot between realistic and grotesque, which is kind of where I am too, where they're kind of like a little bit larger than life, but they're still sort of realistic, and they live in a realistic world, but like... The, they're like outsized emotions are sort of reflected in their faces and their mm -hmm. heads and their gestures and stuff like that sure. in a way that I enjoy. So um, I don't think he really actually did. I mean, I, I would I love to collaborate with people and with all, it was really more like that I would write stuff and then he would just do it back and I would, either it was like I saw it or it was better. And um, I mean, I would say that like when you develop characters, you have to like dig deep into them to give the artist something to go on. So working with him and like going back and forth and getting the character sketches in place when we did the crowdfunding round so we could show me the characters. That really helped me because um, he would ask a lot of detailed questions and that when you ask about someone's details that helps you learn about the person's like so. No, and some, I mean clearly I love asking questions. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by the process. Um, having written comics I found the, the creative aspects of it incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Like there's no limitations on things like budget. There's no limitations on things like how far you can push a sequence. Um, the rhythm of it, how did you find the rhythm of writing comics? That was what I found troubling is that uh, as a filmmaker, it's like you're writing and shot listing and, store and floor like doing all the visual work at the same time that you're doing the thing and the then you, you like give it to your DP and is hope yeah. that they give you, you have back to do it all. You have to be the DP yourself in a way. Like in that. a sense, you ha yeah, you, you have to go and do a lot of that stuff and then send it back. I remember posing in taking photos of myself to an artist and be like, no, no, like this is how they're standing, and like take yeah. a photo of myself, and I'm like, this is fucking silly, but you have to think about so many visual st things that you don't think about when you're writing for someone else, as you said, to figure it out. So the flow in it, when you're used to just writing narrative, like the flow of it felt choppy. It did, did you find that? It was really interesting. Like, um, well, one thing is that I actually um, I was a huge fan of. Uh, 
Hossein and Duggan's run on Deadpool, which, it's I, fantastic. which, which Lucas had actually drawn for, and I didn't realize that I'd already seen his work before. Jerry's somebody who I will not talk trash on. He's a former guest. Yes, Jerry's <laughs> the best. Jerry's the best. <laughs> He's fantastic. He's great. So, um, and, and Hossein was on the Conan show, mm-hmm. and I, I also really liked their book, The Last Christmas, if you know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which I thought was just really outstanding. Um, and uh, and so um, I tried to sort of meet him over the years because I like his comedy, I like his comics and stuff like that. And um, I don't remember how I finagled. I think I, I met his manager, so I finagled and I went in and told him that I was working in the comic book with John and that Jerry had been inspiring and stuff like that and all that. And he was really nice. And he was like, this is funny because I think they were still in the middle of the run and Pazane would just put his head in his hands. You think this guy who can, who's already a star in a comic and is going to write like a cool cool ass comic book mm-hmm. would be like excited about it. and he just puts his hand in his head he goes that's so fucking tiring I was like why and he said yeah. he said you've got to get you have to get a, something on the end of each page at the very end that makes him want to turn the page mm-hmm. and I thought about that like you know you think about in TV like there's a cliffhanger you have to do one at the end of the act break before you go to commercial in a sitcom that's how you structure like the first half and the second half or the first the three thirds in a, in a drama you have to do five of them because there's like five commercial breaks sure. definitely look at interested in thinking about things in those terms I'm used to that but the idea that you have to kind of like come up with like little mini cliffhangers or every little, five or six panels yeah every five or six pa- and also then yeah then I had Peter David's great book on comic writing mm-hmm. inspiring me and he's like don't do more than six panels a page he has like a sure. word no. count a bubble count which was all these structures were really helpful to me because it was like this is the scaffolding you have to climb out on and you hadn't been reading comics like I mean I had yeah, but, I, but, but I hadn't but not like voraciously like a scientist yeah. like, like an architect like, you know, you have to have some kind of, like, architecture to walk out over, over, like, the depths of, like, before, you know, like a tightrope walker. You want to have a net of some sort. So I was using all these things as guidelines. And then when Posein said that, I was like, oh, that sounds hard. But that actually kind of, like, helped me focus the story. Because I was like, I knew that every, by every sixth panel, a big enough thing had, or, or a question, or, or a, this, now this is going to happen thing had to be happening. And so if I was writing towards that, I sort of would reverse engineer what happened happening on each page. And then just to answer your question about yeah. choppiness, you have to break time up into like basically five units, like five strobe light flashes of like, you see this, you mm-hmm. see this, you see this, or this has jumped to this, but like you only get five moments to work with. And like looking about time like that was really interesting for me. And in, in having read the book, in portions of the book, I, Geekscape is, I'm not going to lie, like I bust, this weekend was insane. But... Uh, and then coming up later this week, we have our whole Daredevil special because Netflix is Daredevil. Ian Kerner is yelling at me all weekend because I haven't watched Daredevil. <laughs> like, just sit come down and watch all. I'm gonna sit down and watch all 13 episodes straight. Um, no offense, Geekscape. It's not that I wouldn't do it for you, but that special is gonna come in a few days if you guys are waiting to find out what I thought of Daredevil, which I hope not too many. I mean, maybe you are because you're listening to this podcast. But it's a busy weekend. But I've read. But having read the portions of the book that I've read. Like I see that strict structure in there, and it's not unlike writing a joke where like every three mm-hmm. third line has to be the punchline. Every third, right. you know, it's got a rhythm to it, and I can see how mathematically that led you to. I mean, every page of this book feels like a short little short. Well, that's the idea. Is that it has to sort of like you have to start I mean, it changes somewhere. location, right? Like but it has not to, just. I would look at. I break things up by pages because I know that especially with. Um, with digital, with some people were going to be reading it. This was going to be meant for digital. So with digital, because of the swiping thing, mm-hmm. you literally just see, I think most of the time you see it one page at a time as opposed to handheld yeah. paper comics. You can kind of get the whole sweep of it and sort of see where it's going over two pages. You have, you just literally have the viewer for one page. Not only that, they're going to be on a device, which means that they could also be checking Facebook or their email or their text and say, you've got to hold on to them for that page so yeah. they want to read the next one. The distraction the, When someone picks up a comic book, they're going to read the comic book. It's not that long and they're into it and that's all they're holding. You know, when, they, when they're on a device, I think you have to like shine a spotlight and, and just like hold them a little bit more. It's just almost lethal for any medium to keep you for over three minutes on those things. Right, I mean, right. three minutes is a long time on, right. on a device. God forbid someone's reading on their phone and the print is tiny too. Oh, it like, freaks me out. Yeah. It totally freaks me As a storyteller, it just freaks me out to be right. like, hey man, good luck. Yeah. The digital thing is tough and then you've got the, I mean, I try and turn off notifications for everything. Right. If I want to use, if I want it, I will go to it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's hard, man. It just, it but, still, but then it's internalized at this point. We've got our clocks telling us, hey, you should check on yeah. check your Facebook and check your... Uh, oh, nothing on Facebook? Go to your Instagram. Nothing on Instagram? Yes. Go to your Twitter. Come on, board hamster. She, yeah. she got some more sugar water. And you're in this wheel just <laughs> getting stuck. Yeah. yeah. Also, I leave pellets everywhere. 
<laughs> have I gone too far yeah. with the metaphor? I leave pellets and keep cardboard away from me. Right. I do <laughs> love habit trails, though. <laughs> so um, this this weekend, uh, you've got your panel at noon on Sunday. Yeah. Um, that's. Uh, I mean, you guys have a pretty good lineup, and I'm pretty excited to go and check it out. Uh, yeah. So it's all people who've crossed yeah. over, like I, who've crossed over from other fields, uh, or I think one guy like Aaron Stout, I think, has gone from illustrating to writing or something like that oh, like cool. he's within comics but it's people who've like switched into writing comics who weren't doing them before and were doing something else so that'll be fun that'll be interesting to hear about from other people and that's all one, at one o'clock on Sunday Geekscape uh, that's at noon on Sunday that is not at one o'clock on Sunday that is at noon on Sunday so one thing about LA Comic Con I want to warn some of you Geekscapers who are coming in for the weekend or here live here in LA and are planning on checking out LA Comic Con is it does get swarmed on Saturday and Sunday so if you have a weekend pass come on Friday pick up your badge early so you can walk right in on Saturday and Sunday because Saturday and Sunday those mornings for some reason turn into Dawn of the Dead <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> a, that's a good lead in for yours yeah and so Geeks Gabe is like definitely get there early to get your badge a few hours early and then um, wait is it, is it, are these are these fast fans or slow fans <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, death is supposed to be an impediment not a freaking energy drink <laughs> so uh, we only do uh, slow zombies Fair enough. Here, uh, not immediate death, but mentally slow. Not you know, they, they walk really fast. But they're like, I think the geekscapists. I think the geekscapists are super fast. If you found this podcast, it means that you've got some great taste. If you've listened this far into the show, it means you've got fantastic taste. And if you've been with us for as long as we've been around, you are a credit to society. Um, I will not be smirched, the geekscapists, except maybe Big Yanks. Love you, big gangs. Um, so I would say get there early. Um, the panel is at noon on Sunday, and we're gonna and we're gonna have a um, sort of impromptu signing. Oh, cool! You can buy. I'm gonna bring some copies, and you, I'll sign it for you right after. Yeah. Like in the same bring, room. Bring your iPads, and he yeah. will sign your. I'm kidding. Yeah. He's no, got. I have so actual co- physical <laughs> copies. It's amazing. That's what he was doing at the Geekscape booth yeah. this summer. Geekscape is. Um, in general, LA Comic Con, there's a lot of stuff going on. You guys can find everything that's happening at, at LA Comic Con on FanGuru. That's a, a podcast app. We've promoted the podcast app before. Well, it's not a podcast app. It's a convention app. It's on your phones. The cool thing about FanGuru is, you remember we had Keith Trailins on the show uh, about a year ago promoting LA Comic Con. He now he, he used to help run LA Comic Con. He now works at FanGuru. So they were here at E3. Uh, at E3, we, we promoted the whole um, uh, like obstacle course, not obstacle course, it was like a scavenger hunt. I went and did the scavenger hunt for Fanguru. It was fun. I got some free stuff. Um, and they're going to be back at the convention because they're big promoters of the convention and they're actually the official convention app. So if you guys are going to the convention and want to find out what's going on and you want to make a plan, like you're, you can save your own schedule, you can browse the schedule and highlight things and put them in your own, make your own schedule out of that, download the Fanguru app. It kind of saved my ass because <laughs> I'm on a panel at noon on Saturday. We've got our Kaiju versus Giant Robots panel that I'm moderating with some pretty amazing people, some ex-Power Rangers who, like, obviously have fought It's Kaiju. like Pacific Rim, but talking. <clears throat> yeah, talking. it's like some Pacific Rim stuff going on. I've got F.J. DeSanto, one of the Transformers writers. I've got lots of cool people on that panel. That's at noon on Saturday. At 4 o'clock, we are uh, doing a Monster Squad panel, a mm. bit of a reunion, and mm. we're looking at the documentary uh, that Andre Gower, the lead of Monster Squad, put together and is about to release, um, called Wolfman's Got Nards. It's a, it, it, and our own Matt Kelly is in the uh, the documentary. You nice. know Matt Kelly, yeah, and he's the host of the Horror Movie Night podcast on Geekscape. So he's in the documentary, and we're going to be talking about the documentary at four o'clock on Saturday. If you want to skip that, I would guess it's because you're going to go watch the FP sequel, FP Two: Beats of Rage, at three thirty. They're on Jason Trost, and um, that's Saturday. I mean, Saturday's going to be pretty packed. Go to Fanguru, download that app, and get it, um, and kind of fix your schedule. And then Sunday, we've got Rob's panel at noon. So if you want to make the bounce into comics, or just, you know what, just make a life change. I'm sure this will be a metaphorical as hell, like, panel. These are people who are, like, creatively vibrant, and they're, like, trying to find all these different avenues to be creative. It's probably a great panel for you. And at one, we'll be doing a zombie panel because obviously zombies is something I like to talk about. <laughs> we'll be doing a cool panel with zomb- about zombies with former Geekscape guests, Clark Wolf, John Schnitzer, 
Gavin Hignite and a few other people. So it's a packed weekend. Um, but put a big circle on noon on Sunday. Especially if you want a signed copy That's of... That's a good time. That's a good time to be there. ...of Shrinkage. And the inspiration for Shrinkage was beyond your interest in just the brain. Interest in the brain and then... Um, this is, this is actually cool. I just had this idea of just this happening in someone's head, like an average person. And um, I managed to get an email to Karen Berger, who was running Vertigo at the time. And I, and she actually, I, it wasn't really a Vertigo title. And again, sure. like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, why not? Vertigo is bad as hell. Why not yeah. try them? And you don't know their what their edict is. Their art is yeah. amazing. Why not? Like, you know, so I tried, and she actually wrote back, you know, after many months. Because, yeah. you know, she thinks she's kind of busy. But <laughs> she wrote back and she's like, this is a really interesting idea. I like the visuals, but the stakes are not high enough for this to be a comic. Like, it's just like in a guy's brain. And I started, so basically it was a pass, but it was a really helpful tidbit. And I thought, that's true, it could be higher. And I thought, what's the possible highest stakes brain you could think of? And it would be the President of the United States, basically. And that's your opening. You know, he's got the button next to him, and he's got <laughs> so much thing. And the atomic Who knew football? that we would have an unstable, hijacked brain president? Yeah, that this was... was in, this is like in the, the early 2000s. This is during the Obama era. I was thinking of all this. So stuff. you wrote, you're writing this during the Obama era in the yeah. in the late late 2000s. Um, it, the, you know, ten years ago, you're yeah. you're putting this book together, and once again, had a you're like, time. and you believed in hope. Remember the Obama thing? It's like, oh, we're never going to go back to this Cro-Magnon. Oh yeah, like, fear monster. No, I had a whole shit. different graphic novel I never sold that was about this whole. It was kind of a Buffy thing that was like, there's a secret world Hellmouth underneath Washington D.C. and like all the demons and politicians were like. You know, like in business together, but we didn't know about it. It was like they live, yeah, kind of yeah. like that, but less sunglass oriented. But <laughs> <laughs> it was more bifocal, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so so I had this whole idea, and, and I turned that in like right after Obama's first election in 2008. I sent, the, sent that in to a bunch of people, including my book agent, and they're like, you know, people are really hopeful about politics right now, so I don't think you should be, I don't think cynicism about Washington would really sell. Oh my god, you and were I was like, and I was like, listen to me, I've been at the Daily Show for eight years. This is going to change. People are going to be very angry and sad about politics very soon. Stu Trust me. Stupidity is cyclical. Right. Trust me. People are not going to enjoy the inauguration <laughs> moment for, for, for very long. But <laughs> so, so this is more of a backdoor into politics. So after the <laughs> so after this podcast, uh, Rob's going to go and uh, brush the, the dust off of that one and resubmit yeah, exactly. it because. It's insane. Well, now, now politics is outstripped satire and, and comics to some extent. Like, it's, it's so weird. All of these late night shows are all political. They have all taken the page from The Daily Show yeah. and have become political it just commentary. Yeah. Like, you I can't avoid it. I mean, I, mean and I, don't, I don't know how. I don't think Jimmy Kimmel's even joking anymore. He just shows videos he's and just reacts just, like a human being to it, right? Yeah, he's just putting shit out. And he, like everybody's just become a resistance fighter. I know. Well, I mean, even the fact that it just sort of like, it just dwarfs everything. It's like yeah. eclipses everything. Like during Comic-Con, during San Diego Comic-Con, that was when, when Trump was meeting with Putin in Helsinki. Yeah. And I tweeted out, I said, I can't believe I'm starting Comic-Con while our president is literally meeting with a Russian accent guy in a secret icy fort fortress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it's like, it just seems like coming out of a comic book. Straight up super villain shit. <laughs> and I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone were like, how do you, how do we continue with South Park when like this is going yeah. down? You know what yeah. I mean? It's... It's it's really insane the times we're living through. And if you're still listening to this Geeks Campus, I would like to prompt all of you to vote November 6th and see if we can um, either bring about our quick demise or maybe <laughs> let, let maybe add four more years to the ticker. <laughs> so that's your that's your motivation. That's your motivation. Change the Geeks time frame of our of our demise. <laughs> uh, Geekscapes. Let's definitely uh, thank Rob for coming on the Geekscape show. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Yeah, at Apocalypse How. Apocalypse How. Uh, you can also find the book. Uh, you have a website where you sell the book? Is at robcutner.com. Okay, robcutner.com. Uh, you, you can order it directly from there and check out some of my, my other videos and my other books that we mentioned, like the Apocalypse book and stuff. Geekscapus, you have your homework cut out for you. Uh, and also, it's the digital yeah. version is on, is ironically on Comixology. That the mothership <laughs> did swallow up the... Uh, after the Alderaan of my startup was destroyed, <laughs> the Death Star continued. <laughs> so if you want to try an issue digitally, it's uh, hey, look, look, people are reading it. If people are reading it, I think that's the ultimate thing for a storyteller, uh, is that eyeballs are sticking to our yeah. stories. Um, Geekscape, is, thank you guys for sticking with us this long. Tell your friends about Geekscape. If you're on one of these podcatchers that leaves a review, leave us a review and be like, hey, that Ray Romano guy talks too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and for sure subscribe whether or not uh, uh, recommend whether or not you're listening to this thing on an iTunes 
or on a Google device or on Spotify, wherever you guys are getting it. Recommend it to your friends and keep it going because we have our Daredevil special coming up. We've got LA Comic-Con. All those panels that I'm on will end up on the feed. So we can bring you guys to LA Comic-Con as well. Um, and we're just going to have a great time uh, as we close out the year. Our 13th year, I believe. Is it our 13th year, Geekscape? Wow. It, our, it will be the culmination of our 12th year. Holy crap. That's amazing. Yeah, we have not found anything else to do with our lives. Uh, <laughs> we love you guys. Follow Rob online and go check out this book, uh, Shrinkage. Okay, Geekscapers? Over and out. Geekscape forever. Peace. <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network.